friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Anne's Parish. Have you ever voted for somebody for public office, whatever level it may be, because the person promised a lot of nice things and they said, oh great, this person's going to give us this and that, and later were kind of regretful that you voted, you regretted that you had voted for that person because you discovered that they didn't deliver anything they said they did, it was all just a bunch of lies, just things, they said what you wanted them to hear uh, so that uh, what they wanted, what you wanted to hear, just so that you would vote for them. Or that in voting for them, there came a whole bunch of baggage that they never mentioned to you, things that they believed and were going to do, that they deliberately held from you because they knew they wouldn't get your vote if they told you that. Well, if you've ever been in that situation, you're not alone, because history is full of examples of that. And some of them even from recent time. One that comes to my mind right away of people who regretted very much what they had got was during the French Revolution. The beginning, with the things that led up to the French Revolution, Louis XVI was on the throne and France was bankrupt. And there were many different things that caused the bankruptcy of France. One significant part of it was that Louis XVI gave all the money he had to us here in the United States to win our independence from England. And so we would never have won our, the revolution had we not had the help of France. And so that was one of the things, among many, that led to France being in poverty. And of course, because things were poor and things were horrible, the poor had no bread, and there were hunger, there were strikes and all sorts of um, uh, re rebellions and um, presentations, demonstrations of people demanding food. And that came the moment where Marie Antoinette never said the most famous line that was attributed to her. She never said, let them eat cake. That is an urban legend. Today we would call it fake news. But every historian today realizes Marie Antoinette never said that. In fact, she really wanted to change things in France, but she was told she wasn't allowed to. Because first of all, she was a foreigner. She was of Austrian birth. And the queen was not allowed to get involved in politics. They just wanted her to parade around in elegant clothing and look beautiful. And that was the job of the queen. Well, in the midst of all of this, a bunch of rabble came along. And people who were hot on the idea of revolution, right after our revolution, decided that France needed the same thing. And so they came along and encouraged the people to turn against Louis XVI and the monarchy and said, you see, it's all the monarchy that has caused all this trouble. Get rid of them and we'll be in charge and everything will be wonderful. And the people believed them. And they listened to everything they told them and they, they, they were very good at whipping up the crowds. They told the crowds that Louis XVI was a tyrant. And if anything, he was anything but a tyrant. His daughter actually said of him that his biggest problem was that he couldn't make a decision and stick with it. He was very wimpy. He was an inept person, the wrong person to be king of uh, France at that time. But they whipped the people up into it and they decided to abolish the monarchy and the king and queen were executed and these new people came into power with their new republic. And one of the things different from them about us here in the United States was that these people were never elected to power. They just used the people to push them into power, and now they were the ones who were going to control things. And they, they did so 
in a truly dictatorial manner. And one of the things they did was they abolished the church in France, decided to completely de-Christianize the country. And they even went so far as to change the names of the months so that people would lose track of what day was December 25th, so they wouldn't uh, uh, celebrate Christmas, for example. That's where you get names such as Thermidor and Frerier and all the other names of the French months that we hear about. And they uh, rededicated uh, Notre Dame Cathedral as the Temple of Reason, and they performed pagan rituals on the altar there. And the people of France balked at this right away. They protested and said, wait a minute. We didn't want to get rid of our faith. We loved our faith. We had nothing wrong with that. We wanted to get rid of the monarchy, but not our faith. Now, did the people at that point who were in control listen to them and say, oh, all right, you got us into power. Okay, we'll restore the church. Quite the opposite. No, they didn't listen to the people at all. Anybody who disagreed with them, they declared a traitor. And they sent people to the guillotine by the tens of thousands in what became known as the Reign of Terror, where the mastermind of the whole thing, Maximilien Robespierre, said that, that this was the only way to bring the people into line is with terror, to frighten them into submission. And the French Revolution actually went through several different stages. There were several different revolutions in one. And every time a new group would come into power, they would call the old group of leaders traitors and they would send them to the guillotine. And the one that seemed to carry on through it all was Robespierre. But finally, by the end, a new group came along and decided that Robespierre was a traitor. And they sent him to the guillotine. And he didn't go boldly, like you might say some of them said so many other people did, like a martyr for his faith. No, he went whining and shivering and, oh, come on, guys, leave me alone. Don't do this to me. That's not fair. Crying and carrying on, he was sent to the guillotine. And when Robespierre was killed, you basically had a vacuum of power. There was no one left. They had killed each other off. The old saying, if you ride on the back of a tiger, beware, because the minute you get off the back of the tiger, the tiger will eat you. Well, that's what happened to them. Those who uh, advocate reigns of terror on other people will die by it. Did not Jesus say, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword? Well, it happened there. So now they had no ruler. And into this vacuum marched a young Napoleon Bonaparte. And he declared himself the emperor of the new France. And, of course, Yet he was hailed by the people that this is the guy who was going to bring us peace, and he did end the revolutions. And in 1801, he made a concord with the church, a concordat rather, uh, allowing the church to re-exist again. So the people were pleased with that. In the beginning, Napoleon looked very promising. But then we know what happened. Megalomania hit him, and he decided that France wasn't enough. He had to rule all of Europe. And he took the French armies and marched on the country after country, even trying to invade as far as Russia, and of course, we know everything did not turn out well for him. And eventually, he was exiled to Elba. And when he came back the second time, and then was met uh, by the Duke of Wellington at Waterloo, when he lost there, they brought him to St. Helena in the South Atlantic Ocean, where he was possibly poisoned to death to make sure he never returned. And now, at this point, where they were embarrassed by the thought that Napoleon had done all of this stuff, they restored the monarchy to France under Louis XVI's brother, Louis XVIII, respecting the fact that Louis' son, who was the Dauphin, the heir to the throne, died in the temple prison at only 10 years old, having been treated very mercilessly by the revolutionaries. He was given meager food and forced to sit in his own feces, just a horrible, horrible way to treat a child. And once they restored Louis to the throne as Louis XVIII, the French went on this massive mea culpa, 
of, of grieving and apologizing for the fact that they had committed regicide, that they had killed their king and queen. And they began building monuments all over to Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, regretting what they had done. And after that, France has gone through, I think, three monarchies and six republics now. And many people claim that France has never really recovered from the revolution and that they never have yet taken the place that they had in Europe as one of the most powerful countries before the revolution took place. So all of that talk by this rabble who took advantage of their poverty advanced only their own cause for a little while and ended up destroying things and killing tens if not hundreds of thousands of people in France during that time. And that's not a lone situation. Look a little bit later to the end of the 19th century and the turn of the 20th century. And the fruits of the so-called enlightenment were taking place. And people were listening to people such as Karl Marx and others who were saying, you know, religion is the opium of the people, as he said. You know, people who don't have reason, people who can't think for themselves, turn to religion and turn to this idea of God. But when people are smart, when they realize how much their reason can do on their own, they realize they don't need God. And we can live with a world without God. Basically, it was original sin all over again. We don't have to listen to God. We can decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. And one of the first years of that was World War I. And nobody expected World War I to break out. Who thought that a Serbian nationalist, Serbia was a small country, still is a small country, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was in its waning days of glory, that a Serbian nationalist who killed the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the heir to the throne, would lead to all of Europe being at war. But entangling alliances and other things, if one person declared, one country declares war in that country, we'll declare war on them. And by the time it was over, all of Europe was in war, and even brought us into the war to try to bring an end to it. And people were killing each other by the millions in Europe, and nobody knew why. Nobody knew what this war was about. The only thing they knew was that other country is our enemy and we have to kill them. And finally, when the Treaty of Versailles was signed to end World War I, people called it the war to end all wars. This was the ultimate war. Now we have settled everything, we'll have peace in Europe and that will spread to the world and there'll never be a war again. Well, of course, we know that was the biggest lie that ever happened. In fact, the Treaty of Versailles was one of the worst treaties ever signed at the end of a war because it didn't settle any of the questions of the problems that brought Europe to war in the first place. And in the wake of the treaty, Germany felt like it took the brunt of the punishment because they seemed to fare the worst of all the countries that lost World War I. And they complained, they said, it wasn't even our war, it was Austria and Serbia. Why did Germany take the brunt of it all? And so they were in poverty and they were looking to be rebuilt again. And a young man came along, a great fiery speaker, who knew how to rally the people together and say, I will raise Germany up again to the power that it once had and that we can have and we can take our place in the world. We'll correct all the errors of the Treaty of Versailles. And that young man was Adolf Hitler. And at the same time, similar spirits were rising in Italy, where there was a lot of anti-clericalism as well because of the unification of Italy. And a man by the name of Benito Mussolini came along very fiery in his talk. A wonderful manipulative speaker who knew what to say to bring the people to rally around him. And they cheered him in the streets. And in Italy and Germany, people were flocking to these two men behind Nazism and fascism, listening to the power of these two speakers 
and actually even calling them their saviors, the savior of Germany and the savior of Italy. And the Pope saw the danger. He saw what was lying underneath the veneer of making uh, Germany strong and Italy powerful. He saw the dangers of Nazism and of fascism, and he tried to warn the people, don't hail these people as your saviors, because there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. With their promise of economic prosperity comes an awful lot with it. And he tried to sway them away by instituting today's feast, the Feast of Christ the King, reminding them, Christ is your King. He's the only one who can bring peace into the world. He's the only one who can give you what you're looking for in life. Not Adolf Hitler, not Mussolini. Well, of course, the people of the time largely just poo-pooed the church as the Pope once again is an old man standing in the way of progress, as the church always does, and they levied all those things against him and claimed, no, he's wrong, the church is outdated, these are the ones who are going to save us. And of course, we know what happened at the end of World War II. For the Italians that came even during the war, when we entered the war, and all of a sudden Italians discovered they were at war with the United States, and they said, wait a minute, we don't want to be at war with the United States. A lot of our family is over there. We love them. We want to go and live there. And so that's when they were wise enough to overthrow Mussolini and switch sides and join the Allies before the end of the war. And then when Hitler was finally defeated, in Germany afterwards, there was an embarrassment. People were kind of wondering, how could we have listened to this guy? How could we have been so taken by a guy who made fiery thought, uh, speeches but we didn't see the danger in everything that was underneath it. And for a while it was, we just don't want to talk about this guy Hitler. But after that, people said, well, no, we'll have peace now, because now we have the United Nations. And the United Nations, all the nations are going to join, and there will never be a war again, because all of our problems will be settled at a table with diplomacy and people talking back and forth, and we'll never have to go to war again. Huh. Well, we know how that worked out, didn't it? Korea, Vietnam, and so many other things, and even into our own day, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and all the other different things, and we don't see a horizon that is going to be free of war. North Korea and Iran are always volatile, that we could end up at war with them. And we look and realize every time we give the authority to politicians, every time we expect them to bring peace in the world, they mess it up. They blow it big time. And the reminder that, I mean, you look at it, Nazism is gone, fascism is gone, we haven't even spoken about communism, and all the other isms, they're all gone, and Christ still reigns, and his church is still here, and Christ is still teaching us the way to come to his kingdom, and Christ will still be the one who will sit in judgment over all the nations. And so, the stark reminder we need to get, or receive from our own modern history alone, is not to trust politicians to bring us world peace. Not to say that politicians have no role in the world, though of course we do need them. You know, they, they will control a lot to do with the economy, of the punishment of criminals and just laws, but only on the civil level. And sadly, sometimes civil authorities, governments, usurp God's authority. They try to claim for themselves something that rightly claims to God. They try to decide in their own idea that they are messiahs, like Hitler and Mussolini, that they will save all the people. And we don't have to listen to God, we only have to listen to them. And sadly, even good Christians, many good Catholics, start following these people, specifically 
And most dangerously, when these politicians come along and teach things that contradict the gospel of Christ. And they try to tell us, no, those gospel values will not bring you peace. Only what we say. And we give them our hearts oblation. We agree with them. We believe them. We vote them into office with all of their promises. And nothing happens. They don't give us anything of what they said. And they say, oh, well, give me another four years and I'll get it done. So we vote them back into office, give them another four years, and it still doesn't happen. And so sometimes after the eight years of that, we say, all right, let's give the other party a try. And the other party gives us a candidate promising everything will be better, and we don't get the peaceful world that we're looking for. And we go back and forth and back and forth looking for politicians who are going to give us peace on earth, who are going to give us the meaning in our lives, and it never happens. And we give them our heart's oblation. We give them chance after chance after chance. Every time they fail, we give them another opportunity, and a second, and a third, and a fourth, and we keep giving politicians opportunity after opportunity, and Christ and his call through the church, ah, oh no, that we just dismiss right away. No, that doesn't make any sense. We won't try Christ. Why do we give governments so much chance, so many opportunities to try to make our world better, and we never even try Christ, who is so immensely more powerful and infinitely more intelligent and more truthful than any politician could ever be. I have never heard a politician in our world actually even think or claim to say that he's going to be the one to judge the world at the end of time. Nobody has ever gone that far. Yet sadly, there are Christians who sometimes seem to act as if we believe that these politicians are going to be our saviors. And yet all of them, every politician, every president, every prime minister, every king or queen, every emperor, every governor, everybody who holds any kind of political authority, on the day when Jesus returns in glory, will stand with us on equal terms, equally receiving judgment from the Lord. And that should be the logical sign to us that the one we should listen to is Christ and Christ alone. Yet how often we abandon Christ and people you see, even good faithful church-going Catholics, will support candidates who completely contradict everything the church tells us is important, is part of the gospel of Christ, simply because of their allegiance to the political party. Why is it that so many people will give more allegiance to the political party than to Christ? and the church. And sometimes people look at what the church teaches and they say, well, yeah, that's nice, that sounds wonderful, but they see it as pie in the sky. And they say, well, it's unrealistic. You know, it would be nice in a different world if the world were perfect, but the world's not perfect, so the gospel's not going to work. Well, not even following the gospel because the world is not perfect is like being lost and having a GPS, but not using the GPS because you're lost. But the GPS is precisely the way to get you out of being lost and get you back on the right road. And Christ and his gospel is the very way to make the world perfect again. But politicians cannot bring us the gospel values. It is not within their competence to do so. It is something that is above and beyond their ability. And yet when things of the world around us of civil authority contradict God, we trust the lower. We trust the... the civil authority rather than the authority of God. Why do we do that? Even many Christians will say, well, yeah, I know the church teaches that and I kind of believe it, but I'll ignore it on this one because this other guy believes in something else that I think is far more important than what the church is teaching us. Why do we do that? 
Why do we continue the lunacy of following politicians hoping that they will give us a peaceful world when it's only Christ who can do that? When he says, peace alone, I give you the peace the world cannot give you. Why don't we trust Christ? I think for a lot of people it's because in order to listen to Christ, we have to admit that we were wrong. And we have to change our minds, maybe abandon things we've been believing, practices we want to follow, whatever it may be. And it's easier for us in our hearts. We, we don't want truth. We want somebody who tells us what we're doing and what we're believing is right. And we should look for any authority, not even just a politician. Some people will go after act, uh, actors and actresses in Hollywood and rock stars or other people and say, well, that person, just because I respect their ability to act or they're a good athlete or whatever it may be, that person says this is all right, so I'm going to embrace them. But again, are they giving us the truth? No, all they're doing is helping us live in our little bubble that convinces ourselves everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Everything is wonderful. Everything is happy. And God loves you just as you are. He doesn't ask you to change. Well, that's not the gospel of Christ. That's not what we've been hearing Sunday after Sunday through this past year. No, the world will never have peace. A world peace and our contentment will never come through any government. Governments cannot bring that. Only Christ can bring it. And you and I are not going to bring about the peace that we want by electing the right people to office. It will come, across about, it will come about not when governments change, but when we change. When each and every one of us says, Lord, I will listen to you and you alone. And when I vote for people, I will vote for people who are supporting leading the, the world and our country closer to your call to holiness. So that this way, everything I'm doing is leading me closer to you. We can't change the rest of the world, but we can change ourselves. And if we make ourselves the instruments of peace, the instruments of Christ, and try to bring other people to him, that's what will change the world. Can you imagine what the world would be like if everybody were just like Jesus? If everybody treated other people the way he treats them? Then we would have the world of peace. And again, that's not going to come through governments. That's going to come through each and every one of us, one by one, saying, I will follow Christ. I choose Christ, and I will follow him and only him. And in following him, we will find peace in our lives and then desire to go out and bring other people to know him. And that's why we as Christians know that it is our job to go out and try to bring other people to Christ so that they too will be formed by him and this will make the world a better place. This will bring the kingdom of God around when all of us do what Christ tells us to do, when Christ is our king and when we don't sacrifice him because of any other politician, any other rock star or anybody else that we think says something that sounds good to us realizing only Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, my brothers and sisters, on this last day of ordinary time, this last Sunday of ordinary time, we repeat what we talked about at the beginning of our year of grace last year, uh, the first Sunday of Advent. Christ will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. We will all stand in judgment before him, and he will judge us on how well we try to bring other people his gospel message. Were we examples of him to the world? And all the politicians will be there next to us. And we will be judged by no one but by Christ himself. Let today be the day that we say to ourselves, enough. 
I will not give my heart's oblation anymore to politicians or to athletes or to rock stars, and I will no longer deny myself giving oblation to my own mind and my own feelings and follow what I think is right, but rather I will listen to Christ and do what he tells me to do, even if it means a radical transformation at the very heart of my being. Because I realize that is the only thing that is going to give me peace in this world and the only thing that will be, bring me to the glory of his kingdom that we can't even imagine here on earth. There will be no glory on earth, no peace on earth, nothing can be brought by anybody except for Christ, the Savior and Sovereign King of the universe. May Jesus Christ be praised, yeah. now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carosa. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carosa, please visit www.fathercarosa.com.